James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For, you, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Amen. ...to be at work in our lives. So let's pray now as we come to think about God's word. Father, we want to thank you so much that you've been so kind and gracious in revealing yourself and your way to us. Father, we thank you that your words to us are a life and health. Father, that they are a lamp to our feet. Father, we pray that you would grant us hearts that are repentant and uh, minds and wills that are eager to know what you would, you would have us uh, be, be thinking and doing and living. We pray these things now as we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So I wonder if you happen to watch the ABC documentary series earlier this year called The Killing Season. No, no. Well, I'm a bit of a political nerd and uh, with my political science graduate son, we kind of like to watch The Killing Season. It was one of the, um, it's been described as one of the finest works of television documentary making ever to have been made in Australia. It is that good. And it was a great success in the ratings with uh, many, many Australians tuning in over a three week period, uh, only beaten in its time slot by MasterChef. <laughs> or was it My Kitchen Rules? I don't know. But in case you missed it, the killing season is all about, well, it's about the changes in Australian prime ministers between the years 19, 19, 2007 and 2013. Do I need to go into any more detail than that? People were riveted by the dramatic retelling of the events of uh, what really is one of the most turbulent periods in recent Australian political history. And I guess that no matter what our political views may be, no matter what uh, side of politics we might sit on, no matter what personalities we like or don't like, there is little doubt, little doubt, that the scheming, the politicking, the broken relationships, the disorder, really was the stuff of soap operas. And uh, sadly, though, uh, this was actually real. Uh, it was played out on the national stage and we all lived through it because it's that recent. So a lot of you missed it, did you? Never mind, never mind if you missed it because you don't actually have to tune in to a television documentary to see this kind of thing. Because in uh, its various forms, it gets played out in other areas of life where people scheme and strategize and charm and will behave in ways that just don't end very well. In school, in work, at home, and guess what? Sometimes even in church life. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Political scheming in the life of a church. You know, I watched the killing season, all three episodes, with great interest. And one of the things I noticed was that some of the politicians who were expressing their um, reflections on what happened during that period of time they seem to be less concerned about whether certain actions were right or wrong. What they were really concerned about was whether those actions were politically wise. Politically wise. You know, wisdom is a very important issue and it's, I guess it's important also to define what wisdom is because the term wisdom or the word to be wise can be used in different contexts and it can be used uh, to mean different things. So what, what is wisdom? Well, I'm 
trying to think this through in terms of the very general sense which could apply to the different types of wisdom that are out there. And I'm thinking through this kind of definition that uh, wisdom could be defined in this way and that is to be wise is to apply knowledge in such a way so as to achieve a desired outcome. Did you get that? See, knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. Uh, wisdom is the application of knowledge. So to be wise in a general sense is to apply knowledge in such a way as to, I guess, successfully uh, be able to achieve a desired outcome. Now that can be good and that can be bad uh, because uh, whether, whether such wisdom is, is bad depends on what the desired outcome is. If, it's, if the desired outcome is something which is, which is bad, then, and it also depends on the rightness or otherwise of the actions that are taken in order to achieve the desired outcome. Because the ends does not always justify the means. You see, the Bible says that there are two different types of wisdom. And in today's passage, which you might want to have open up, James starts off in verse 13. So we're looking at James chapter 3, verse 13. He starts off in verse 13 by posing a question to his Christian readers. Now, have a look at the question. He says this, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? That's the question. And so from this verse down to chapter 4, verse 12, he speaks about what being wise and understanding actually means. And he speaks about two very different types of wisdom. One of them is the kind of wisdom that you would place in inverted commas, as indeed the NIV actually does. Because it's, it's a type of wisdom, but it's not what God says is wise. It's not, it's not real wisdom in the biblical sense. So we actually, he tells us a little bit about the character of such wisdom, uh, say in verse 14, where he says, but if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it. That's nothing to be proud of. Well, don't deny the truth. Uh, you, you know, it's not a good idea to say that that's not the case. He says, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So, what is the character of this kind of inverted commas type of wisdom? Well, it's categorised by bitter envy and selfish ambition. And so, in other words, I want something which belongs to somebody else. Uh, or I want that position, or I want that influence, or I want my way. What's the common word there? It's the word I, isn't it? It's, it's selfish ambition. It's bitter envy. 
And James has a kind of a follow-up question, and it's in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, where he, he says, well, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Isn't it because there's something which you want, but God actually hasn't given that thing to you? And so there's this, there's this battle, that's, there's this hostility, there's this thing which is raging inside your heart. Uh, a battle which rages within, which causes you to behave in certain ways. Now, that is a, this is a very different picture to the, the picture of church life that we have, um, for example, in Acts chapter 2, isn't it? Remember in Acts chapter 2, after the gospel had been preached and people submitted themselves to the, to, uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, the church gathered together, and what did they do? Well, people actually... They, they pooled their possessions. They shared what they had. They looked after one another. And uh, th that's very different, isn't it, to what we have described for us here, where there is a different outcome. The outcome of the kind of wisdom that's being um, utilised in James here is not harmony and generosity and kindness and so on, but in chapter 3, verse 16, James says that the outcome is disorder and every evil practice. You want something, it's not coming your way, you're frustrated, so what do you do? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to get what I want which is the, 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 the false so-called wisdom, which uh, when it's uh, happening amongst Christians, can be very, very damaging in the life of a church, in, in, a, in a congregational family. Uh, I love the book of Proverbs, don't you? Uh, Proverbs is, um, uh, it's actually great to, to be reading through the book of Proverbs in your quiet times on a regular basis because there's just so many absolute gems there. Um, listen to uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, which says, Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. What does pride breed? Pride breeds quarrels. What's the source of quarrels? Well, it's often pride, isn't it? It's pride. And so you can imagine um, this scenario. Imagine the brother or sister for whom pride is an issue, uh, who thinks a bit more highly of themselves than they ought. Now, to tell you, it's, it's, it's easier to say, well, just imagine that brother or sister. Um, imagine it's yourself. <laughs> because we all often struggle with pride. But uh, here's the brother or sister who thinks a bit more highly of themselves than they ought and, and struggles, really struggles with the idea of, of not getting his or her own way. They're used to being in charge. They're used to being in control. They're used to... Uh, or they really struggle with the idea that maybe there's other people who actually have, actually know, uh, have, have better and greater knowledge... Um, than I have on a than they have on a particular issue, and so this brother or sister they're not particularly happy with the way that things are going. They think that things can be done 
better. They'd rather see things done their way, which they are absolutely confident is the right way. But it's not happening. And so they've got to work out, well, how do I achieve that goal? And they haven't quite learnt the lesson that Peter taught last week about taming the tongue. So they resort to what works. They resort to what they can control, which uh, involving the tongue means spreading a word here, spreading a word there, uh, drawing others into their circle. Maybe even uh, some people might feel flattered that they've been included, that this um, charming person has uh, drawn them in. You know, it wouldn't be a huge surprise to learn that where pride is a big part in our hearts, that a regular and a, and a deep prayer life is not part of our relationship with God. But even when we do pray, we kind of have this tendency to spiritualise our prayers. In uh, chapter 4, verse 3, James talks about the person who's after some kind of material gain. They ask God for what they want, and that sounds like a good thing to come to God in prayer. But even as they pray, they're not really seeking God's will and God's guidance. And that's the important part of prayer, isn't it? When we, we, we're told that we should come to God with our petitions, with the things that we'd like. And it's, uh, that's the great privilege that we have to come to our Heavenly Father and say, Lord, you know, I, I really would like such and such. Um, but, Lord, you know what's best. Uh, you know what's good for me. You know what's good for other people. And so um, I'm expressing my preference, but... Um, Help me to be humble. Um, not, not my will, but your will be done. And that's how we should pray, isn't it? That's the right approach to prayer. But when we come to God and uh, we, uh, we simply say to God, well, look, this is what I want, and, um, and amen to that. And we might even go to others and say, hey, I've really prayed about this, and this is what should happen. Well, have a look at what James says in chapter 4, verse 2. He says in the second part of verse 2, you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So often it's the case that prayer actually is not even a part of this kind of equation. But he says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So they're praying for a material thing, but the motivation is really selfish. It's a selfish motivation to the prayer. Um, Psalm 66 verse 18 is interesting because there the psalmist writes, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So the Lord's not going to just give in to us if we're actually cherishing sin uh, we might seem spiritual, but um, uh, the Lord is not actually necessarily even going to listen to those kind of prayers. So such a person may seem spiritual. They may even, through their, uh, through their worldly wisdom and their political strategising and so on, they may even get what they want. This so-called wisdom may work, but what is the outcome of it? 
Well, it's disorder. It's every evil practice. Uh, and in the church context, that means divisions within the church, the disordering of church life. So James says, well, where does this kind of wisdom come from? What's its origin? Verse 15. Verse 15. Uh, its origin, he says this, he says that such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. Now, friends, there are three key strategies which Satan uses to try to destroy God's church. Um, I'm sure that there's more than three, but here's three big ones, uh, things which, God, which Satan uses to damage the church. Uh, number one is false teaching. That'll damage the church, won't it? Number two, are, I'll roll two things into one, immorality and greed. Uh, they'll do great damage to God's church. The third issue, the third strategy of Satan is divisiveness. Divisiveness, it does enormous damage to the fellowship of God's people. So James is blunt. Uh, this so-called wisdom, well, it's of the devil because the evil one uses it to try to destroy God's church. And God takes a very dim view of that. I mean, Christ Jesus died for the sake of the church. Uh, God values the church. Uh, the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, well, if anyone destroys God's temple, guess what? God will destroy him. That's how serious it is. And it's no surprise that Satan is involved because the deep and underlying cause of disorder is sin. Now, do you remember the two big commandments? What's the, what's the first big commandment? You shall, it is to love, to love God, isn't it? Right? And the second commandment is to love your, if you love God and you love your neighbour, this kind of summarises the whole of the, of the, of the law, doesn't it? Right? And uh, in, the, in this passage here, we see how this kind of worldly wisdom is the opposite to loving God. And it's the opposite to loving your neighbour. Think about loving God. Uh, in chapter 4, verses 4 through to 6, when we resort to worldly wisdom to satisfy our selfish ambitions, we're not loving God. Um, James actually says that it is adultery. Because uh, if we're saying that it, it, it is that, that it is only if I have these things or this influence or this position or whatever it is I'm craving, that if only I have those things, then I will be satisfied, then we're not really trusting in Christ, are we? We're not trusting that our completeness and our joy is to be found in a friendship with God. And so... James says you can't be a friend of the world and a friend of, of the Lord. You've got to pick between the two. And to prioritise the world over the Lord uh, is spiritual adultery. The second area, of course, is the command to love your neighbour. It's very, very difficult to say I love my neighbour when I'm slandering her or him. 
Sometimes worldly wisdom says that uh, if you've got a goal that you want to achieve and you want to, you want to find your way towards achieving that goal, then uh, damaging somebody's reputation uh, will help you to achieve that goal. Um, and slander can do that quite effectively. Uh, a quiet word of criticism, uh, just to slur the character of the person who stands in between uh, you and the achievement of your goal can so damage their reputation. Because once the word spreads, it's hard, to, how, how, is it, how easy is it to pull it back? It's impossible, isn't it? You can't retrieve the word once it's been spread. And so rather than keeping the law, which says that we should love our neighbour, what this kind of wisdom is doing is saying, well, I know better than, than God, uh, and we judge the law to be inferior. We're saying we know better than God, and the way forward is to slander our neighbour. Um, chapter 4, verse 11, uh, the first part of it, says this, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. See, it's, it's unspiritual wisdom. The end goal is selfish and unspiritual wisdom knows all the tricks in order to achieve that goal. Do you want to be truly wise? Of course you do. Of course you do. And I actually really recommend um, reading through the book of Proverbs on a regular basis. Um, have you done that lately? Uh, let me encourage you to think about it. Here's one just to whet your appetite. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. Listen to this. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. A fool shows annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. There's wisdom in that, isn't it? The wise person uh, actually realises, hey, I don't know everything. I might benefit from the advice of others. Uh, the wise person, when he doesn't like something or she doesn't like something, they don't get angry straight away. No, actually even prepared to overlook an insult. Here's another one. The first to present his case seems right until another comes forward and questions him. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, you hear one side of a story, sounds very plausible, but then actually someone says, well, hang on a moment. There might be a few other issues here in, as well. Um, another one, Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Mm. So someone's upset about something, they come to you, they, they dump their upset on you, well, you've got a chance to punch back, or you can actually answer that person very gently, calm the whole situation down. And that's, a, that's a, the kind of wisdom we see in Proverbs. There's actually a proverb that is um, quoted in uh, our passage today, 
And it comes from Proverbs chapter 3, and it's in verse 6, where James says, uh, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, you can see how, you know, this kind of wisdom in the book of Proverbs really puts a wet blanket over things like fights and quarrels and, and slander and congregations splitting and tearing themselves apart and so on. Um, this, is, this is godly wisdom uh, uh, that we see in Proverbs. Uh, have a look at um, chapter 3, verse 13 again. In chapter 3, verse 13, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. What does, where does humility come from? It comes from wisdom. How does humility express itself? Well, by good deeds. That's the evidence of it. Uh, and the fruit of this uh, kind of wisdom, um, well, what, what we see here rather, let's go down to verse 17 for a moment. Because in verse 17, uh, James expands on this, where he says that the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So let's think about the character of this person who is genuinely wise. Um, such a person is pure. They don't have false motives. Uh, they love peace. They consider the interests of other people over and above their own. They submit to those who are in rightful authority, uh, realising that uh, that actually makes the job of leadership uh, easier. Uh, they are merciful to those who do wrong. They don't retaliate, they forgive. Um, what else does it say? It says, well, they are impartial. When difficult issues arise, they don't just jump to conclusions based on preconceived notions. Uh, they are sincere. They don't use charm and flattery to get their way. And this is the character of genuine wisdom. What, what is the outcome of this wisdom, though? The outcome in verse 18 is this. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. The fruit of this kind of wisdom is righteousness, a harvest of righteousness. And in congregational life, that will involve a harmonious and a godly congregation. Now, I want to uh, add to this, though, at this point, by saying that this does not mean that um, the person with godly wisdom desires peace at any cost. Uh, because righteousness is the goal, we do need to be people who will wisely challenge certain things. Uh, I was on an interview panel where we were interviewing a candidate for a ministry, a Christian ministry position. And one of the uh, panellists asked what I thought was a very wise question. Uh, he said to the candidate, 
as a Christian leader, you will need, on occasions, to initiate conflict. How do you feel about that? I thought it was a good question because it's right. There are times when uh, the honour of God and the welfare of a congregation means that we may find ourselves, whether we're in leadership or not, we may find ourselves in a situation where we actually have to uh, confront and challenge uh, where there is false teaching uh, or where there is uh, conduct which is dishonouring uh, to God. Indeed, divisiveness is one of those issues. Uh, the scriptures say, warn a divisive person once, warn him again, and after that have nothing further to do with him. Um, when uh, John wrote his third epistle, uh, he alerted his readers to a man by the name of Diotrephes, who was in the congregation, who was, um, uh, Diotrephes was a guy who had to be number one. And he was the gatekeeper of the church. Uh, he uh, wouldn't allow anyone else to have any influence. Everything had to go through him. Uh, but he uh, dishonoured, uh, he rejected the apostles. Uh, and uh, John says, when I come, I'm going to draw attention to what this man is doing. So that's initiating conflict, isn't it? That's the right thing to do. Uh, uh, Paul says to, to Titus that uh, he is to command certain people to stop teaching what they're teaching. And he's saying that to a young man to go and talk to these guys who are influential in the church and say, you've got to confront these guys. because You've got to stop them from doing what they're doing. Now, so uh, that's an appropriate conflict. It's not something that anyone uh, revels in. If they, if they revel in it, then they're not an appropriate person to be in initiating the conflict. They actually need to repent of that. But as painful as it is, that kind of conflict is necessary for the long-term honour of God and the welfare of his people. And uh, when, it, when it's done it actually over time produces a, a fruit of righteousness. It's part of the shepherding role. But how can we be truly wise people? Well, throughout this passage, there is one word which just keeps on giving. And uh, we see it in verse, chapter 3, verse 13, uh, where uh, it says, "...but deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom." We see it in chapter 6, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, the second part, where it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We see it in chapter 4, verse 10, where we're told, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. What is that word that keeps giving? It's the word humble, isn't it? Humility. The truly wise person will be humble. Do you find it strange when um, celebrities are accepting awards, you know, on the... Um, you know, Academy Awards or the Emmys or anyone watch the Logies? Uh, no, no. And they stand up and they say, I'm very, very proud of myself and I'm very humbled by this award. Yeah. We know what they mean, don't we? don't we? They're using the word humble or humility in a way which is different to the way the Bible uses it. Uh, in Bible terms, the truly humble person is the one who's whose sense of the gravity of their sin 
is matched by their sense of their gratitude towards the one who forgives sins. Uh, the one who has, by the death of his own son on the cross, uh, made forgiveness possible. When we truly value just how gracious and forgiving God has been, then the battle that rages within dies down. We find contentment. Contentment not in the things of this world, but contentment in our Creator. And if we found our contentment in Him, then why on earth would we be envious of others? Why on earth would we cling to and be consumed by selfish ambition? Why on earth would we slander our brother or sister in Christ? The opposite to humility is pride. And even though we may be people who do trust in Christ, we must recognise that we are all still a work in progress, are we not? Anyone here reach perfection as yet? Put your hand up. Yeah. And sometimes there's still that pride within us, isn't there? That, that pride that, you know, that, that rages within us, which we know causes difficulties. Sometimes God allows us to, uh, in, to go through difficult and challenging uh, situations in our life where he actually strips away our pride. He brings us low. And it might be through some calamity that he allows to happen to us. Uh, it might be through some health issues, some financial crises. But sometimes we just need to be brought low so that we stop depending on ourselves and our own ability to achieve and we start depending more on God. Sometimes God allows us to go through those circumstances to strip us of our pride. But you know what? James says, well, how about we do that without having to go through the great difficulties? And he actually talks to us here about some, he sets some challenges for us, challenges which are matched with some very wonderful promises. And we're going to finish up on this but it's in uh, chapter 4, verse 7. And here's the challenge. The challenge is submit yourselves then to God. Is that so hard? After all that God has done for us to simply say, God, I'm yours. I submit to you now. I want to die to self. I want to live for you. Is that? We can do that. James says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. And guess what? He will flee from you. We don't have to always just succumb to the evil, that, uh, the desires that, the, that Satan puts before us. We can resist him and he will flee. Come near to God and what will God do? He will come near to you. That's a promise. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail, Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Grieve over your sin. Acknowledge your sinfulness. Be rightfully ashamed of it. Grieve over it. 
Humble yourselves before the Lord. And here's the promise. What does God do for the humble? He exalts the humble, doesn't he? He will lift you up. He will lift you up so that the battle that rages within you will be over. That the contentment and the satisfaction that you seek in life through worldly wisdom will actually be yours. You'll be truly wise. Friends, our goal in life is to honour our Lord and to grow his kingdom. And what godly wisdom does is that it enables us to navigate the complexities of life so that we achieve those goals. That's a funny thing about it, isn't it? The ends and the means are not different. The end is godliness. The means is godliness. We can't distinguish between the two. We can't say that the end somehow justifies the means. The ends and the means are the same. It's the honour of God and the spread of his kingdom. So let's pray. Humble us, Father God. Teach us to depend on you. Strip us of our pride. Strip us of our selfish ambitions. Father, help us to be truly wise. Help us to be people who are humble before you, who seek that which is right in your sight, and who seek to love our neighbour as ourselves. Father, we all in different ways will be battling with this issue, these issues. We just pray that you would help us to change. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen.